Cortez to throw. Down the left side to fade. LaVisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder. Catch is made by LaVisca Chenault. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. How do you cover that man? Well, second down at 8 for the 16. Coletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Slang, and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9-yard line. Terrence Slang, there's no better-looking football player Takes a snap, dropping the throne. He's got time. Downfield, KD Nixon backpedaling. One-handed crab outside the 20 in the 15-yard line. Oh, what a catch by KD Nixon. Between the hashes, moving left to right, loopily, shotgun snap. Gives the inside handoff, and that thing is blowing up that time. Oh, what a play by Landman. I mean, as soon as it was handoff, Lambert was right there, and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play. Montez fake handoff, turns a corner, and there he goes. 2015-10-5, touchdown, Steven Montez. Holy cow, he had the fake, and he rolled out to his left, and he was so alone, it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in. Welcome into a special Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here. And today I'm joined by former Denver East two sports star, former Buff, and now the head coach of Overland High School's varsity football team, Devon Thornton. Devon, thanks for taking the time out to, to join me, and congrats on your new opportunity here. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate that a whole lot, man. Thank you so much. When did you decide you wanted to get involved in coaching? Um, once I started teaching, fresh out of college, uh, I figured that it was good to help them with athletics too. So I actually started coaching middle school soccer okay, and high school soccer um, back in 2014. What was it about coaching that you, you kind of gravitated towards? I love the kids. Um, for lack of better words, those kids were underserved. And um, just to have a coach, I didn't really know the sport, but a coach that um, definitely wanted to improve the skills of the kids, even if it wasn't soccer, I felt like that was where my passion was at. When you started coaching, could you envision being a head coach of a varsity football team at age 29? Uh, 28, but 28. Yes, I could. I, yes, I could envision it. I definitely could envision it, and um, I continue to tell myself, you know, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you say, because uh, back in the day when I was on the campus in Boulder, people would ask me, what are you going to do if football doesn't work? So my degree was in English. I'm saying being an English teacher. Here I am, an English teacher, um, started to coach sports. And I said, you know, I want to be a head coach. And lo and behold, I became a head coach. There's a lot I want to cover with you today, Devon. Uh, and typically I like to go back to the beginning. I, I remember covering your <laughs> recruitment out of Denver East. The first interview I did with you was in December of 2008. And it was, I think at that point, you were starting to transition from more of a basketball recruit to a football recruit because you had that really good season in football. Uh, what do you remember thinking back to that time period? Uh, obviously, you helped Denver East to back-to-back state championships in basketball, yes, and uh, had a lot of success on the. F- you got your <laughs> ring on right now. That's awesome. <laughs> what, what do you remember back about that time period? Uh, that time period was probably uh, some of the greatest times ever athletically, playing in uh, Boulder, two years in a row, winning two state championships, and a lot of those guys are still my friends today. Quentin Hildreth is actually on my staff right now for football. I just memories those guys are still my best friends Donnell Wells Jamico Verner Jeffrey Hampton Dion Hardy we, we literally are our family and the only other thing I can attest that to is the brotherhood with the Buffaloes 
I do remember saying that I have a better opportunity of making it to the NFL than the NBA. And I think that's just the way the sports are in Colorado. Um, I was 6'4", 200 pounds, and I was a 5. So now John Wall is probably 6'4", and he's a point guard. So I kind of had to figure out where my path was for my future. And I felt like football had trumped basketball, and I didn't have any basketball offers. And when I tell people that, they were super surprised. And I think people just figured I was going to do football. But I love basketball was my first love, 100%. So if you were 6'7", six, 6'8", six, might, might have been a different story? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I've been up at UNC with uh, the coach that's the Buffalo's coach now. He was actually the basketball coach at UNC. Yeah. And I probably would have ended up there in Greeley. So it was pretty clear. It wasn't one of those situations where you were really torn in terms of what sport you were going to play in college? No, I wasn't torn at all. It was football. It was football. And um, I was the first one to accept a scholarship for football. Dasman accepted a basketball scholarship to Texas Tech. Demetrius went to Cochise College for basketball. I went to football. My littlest brother, David Jr., went to basketball for on a scholarship. Yeah, you mentioned your brothers that played college basketball. Your father... David Thornton actually played linebacker at Oklahoma State. Is that correct? Yep, under Jimmy Johnson. What, which sport was bigger in your house growing up? The bigger sport growing up was basketball. Just because we had a rim in the backyard. We had okay. a rim in the backyard, and we were like less than a mile away from our elementary school. So we went and hooped all the time, all the time, all the time. When you start to go through the recruiting process for football, are there football staffs that are telling you you can play both sports or did you kind of see through that and didn't really think that was going to be a realistic option for you <laughs> dan hawkins and kent Reynolds told me i could play both they told me i could play both it would just be after my sophomore year and now looking back at it i should have done it but as a young 18 year old i thought it would be too hard um, but that was a question that came up 100 percent. we talked a little bit about this kind of share some of your best memories that you have from denver east is it winning those championships is there anything else that really stands out when you think back <laughs> the best memories from denver east okay what the football one would be us beating overland we beat them 52 to 48 i believe my junior year and another football memory would be it's not a positive but losing to pomona in the second round that was the first time denver east went to the second round of the playoffs in almost a decade or so that was powerful and then my senior year we beat highlands ranch and put 40 points on them um as far as basketball it would be the state championship uh back to back and just um breaking bread with my brothers after we won and that has truly created a lifelong bond you had 786 receiving yards <laughs> your junior year is, is, is that when how do you know that <laughs> is that when that season ends is that when the recruiters start coming in yep uh, i would say at the end of that june that was junior year Correct, yep. yeah. And once I was All-State, I was Rocky Mountain All-State first team and Denver Post first team, I think that's junior year, and um, offers started rolling in. I think my first offer was San Diego State. Yeah. And you had quite a few Mountain West options, and then CU comes in a picture early January of 2009. There's an article, as soon as you got that offer, uh, I think it was a CSU writer reached out to you and he said, I'm not trying to play in the Mountain West. You were very honest about yeah. it. Uh, it was about a week and a half after you get that offer, you take your visit up to CU. <laughs> what What do you remember about that time period, and, and what was the initial reaction when you get the CU offer? I was a cocky-ass 18-year-old. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, I, and the reality was I was very blunt. I wanted to play in Folsom, and I did. Um, the stadium. The stadium got me, and... Um, I would say the coaching staff. The coaching staff, Dan Hawkins and Kim Rendell at that point, they were awesome. And Josh Hardigan, you know, he was my host. We're still boys to this day. 
So I was bought in with the staff and the players and just the atmosphere. I think I stayed at the Omni Hotel right off 36th and um, it's powerful. It's right inside of a mountain, you know. As I get older, I appreciate it more. So I could see how I was in love as soon as I went as an 18-year-old. Had you spent much time up in Boulder growing up or was that one of the first times you really took a, a chance to look around and kind of take it in? That was the only other time I went up there was for the state championship games. So I, 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 I had no idea about Boulder. You know, you see it on TV, but you almost feel like it's a different world growing up in Denver. So no, I only went up there for the state championship games. You verbally committed before you, you left on that official visit. Was there? Do you remember mm-hmm. the moment when you were like, this is happening, I, I've got to commit? Yep. Uh, we were sitting in Dan Hawkins' office, and he offered us. I looked at my dad. He kind of gave me a head nod, but you know, I know my dad, and he was like, you know, it's your decision. And I went ahead and accepted it. And if I could go back today, I would have put it on ice a little bit, like my boy Zach Grossnickel, and maybe some more offers would have came. But that's just um, reflecting on it. But, yep, I accepted that offer uh, the second day of the visit. And you were coached in football at Denver East by Ron Wolfert, a yes, former sir. buff. Uh, did you get to find out about kind of the traditions through him? Did you talk with him about CU? Not really. Not really. We didn't speak that much about Boulder. You go there, you redshirt your first year, but I remember you stood out in practices pretty early on. Did you feel like you were fitting in pretty much from day one, or was there a point when you felt like uh, you were you had the ability to play at that level? Uh, yeah, I knew I had the ability to play at that level, and they were going to pull my redshirt that Wyoming game when we wore the throwback jerseys because Pat Devinney had hurt his ankle, Ryer Greer, he had hurt himself too, so they were going to pull my redshirt. I think that was week three the last um, preseason game pre-conference game and um, I was ready and I felt like the coaches knew I was ready too you saw action in 10 games two starts in 2010 caught a touchdown pass from Cody Hawkins against Kansas on a third down play what would you remember about that play that moment Uh, that's probably one of my greatest memories in Boulder it's uh, we practiced it all week me and Cody had a great relationship it was a simple post or a corner depending on the leverage of the safety he put it up high, and, you know, the rest is history. You were having a really good spring after your redshirt freshman season, and but I think you had some injuries. Didn't You actually left practice in an ambulance yep. uh, with a neck injury? Yep. I um, got tackled on top of my head, and um, <laughs> I, I don't remember much after that. I just know that I was in an ambulance, and they were putting IV in me, and um, that was a scary time. It was a scary time, but I felt I felt the love. I definitely felt the love from the Buff community. When did you feel like you were, you know, getting over that injury? And, and imagine that's kind of a scary deal. Is that more of a mental hurdle, hurdle coming back from something like that? That was a mental hurdle. I sat out a couple games, not a games, a couple practices because we were in summer camp. And um, I'm a tough guy, almost to a negative extent. So especially as a younger dude. Um, it was a mental thing, and uh, Miguel, he took care of me, and uh, the training staff, they did a great job. So it was definitely mental on me. I didn't have, like, neck pain or shoulder pain. Um, I think I was just knocked out for a little bit. You ended up playing in all 13 games as a sophomore in 2011. Your, your biggest catch that year was that 52-yard pass from, <laughs> from Tyler Hansen at Utah in the season finale. He got you guys early momentum in that game. I mean, Utah was playing for a Pac-12 South title in that game. You guys had nothing to lose, and 
you end up breaking that 23-game road losing streak that all the media was so sick and tired of having to talk to you guys Ooh. about. And I don't know if I've seen a celebration with this CU team, 17 years covering them, that was more jubilant than what we saw after that Utah game. What, what do you remember about that play and just that game in general? That play was time stopped. And I know people say that and you see that, but time literally stopped. And I'm looking at Tyler Hansen about 30 yards down the field, and he launches it. And, you know, I should have scored. But, oh, man, that game, we were tired of hearing about. The consecutive. Yeah. Was that the most losses consecutively in college football at that point? Yeah. Yeah. And so we knew it. We knew it. And, you know, people thought we were just so bad. But we work hard like everyone else. So to yeah. actually go into Utah, a hostile environment, and to get that win, Oh, we were walking on clouds. And for John Embry, that was his first year, wasn't it? Correct. Um, we were walking on clouds. We went into the locker room, sang the fight song. That's why most of us are still friends to this day. And I think just because we went to war together, people thought we were the worst team in college football. And then on national te- national TV, we went and beat a team that was fighting for a conference championship. Yeah. And um, that just tells you that any given Saturday, any given Friday, Thursday, they play on Wednesday now, any given day, any football team can win, 10-0 or 0-10. And you also beat Arizona on senior day before that, so you had won two of your last three games, broke that long streak. It seemed like people were excited about what the Buffaloes could do in, in 2012. Now that you have the benefit of, of hindsight here, what, what do you think happened that didn't allow you know the whole John Embry experiment to, to be successful in Boulder? Um, John Embry didn't get enough time. I think um, the vision that he had and Eric Bieniemy, the vision they had and J.D. Brokart, those coaches, they had a vision. And that vision takes time. And I'm learning that as a coach myself. But I think we as players could have bought in a little more too. And this is me talking personally. I could have bought in way more than I, than I did. But once you have someone there that didn't recruit you, that changes the entire game. Especially when you have, like, Kent Riddle sat in my house. Dan Hawkins came to my high school. Like, those are quality bonds and relationships that you'll never forget. So to have a brand-new coach come in and um, put his own stamp on the program, you either are with it or you're not. And speaking for myself, I, w- I was not 100% with it. And if I could go back, I would I would buy in just a little bit more. Just And that may help him be there longer. You never know. So those are things that football players you have to live with, and those are things that um, you learn from, too. Was it when John Embry was fired that you decided for your, your last year of eligibility you kind of needed a change of scenery, or was it not related to all, to all that? It wasn't related to all that. That had a role to play. I, I was very in tune to like the comments and things going on, and one person had said, Thornton saw the writing on the wall. I saw the writing on the wall, and I just didn't want to go through a whole new transition with the new coach I did for about a week but I had some personal things going on and um, I just decided to leave and um, I wanted to win too as you mentioned before I come from a winning tradition football and basketball and I was tired of losing even if it was in the one of the best conferences in the world with USC UCLA I wanted to win and um, that that was part of my decision and I was going to graduate so once I learned that you can graduate and transfer somewhere else, work on your master's, and um, still play football, I-, I was sold on that. 
What were the main things that you learned during your time at CU that you were able to apply to your life after you finished your playing career? Consistency. Consistency, work ethic, and I wholeheartedly believe that's why athletes are the best workers in in the world. Just because we're trained from 18 years old to 23 years old, 22 years old, to wake, to be on a schedule. And uh, I think that that prepared me, not knowingly, but it prepared me for what I'm doing today, what I did last year, and since I've been out of college. And um, CU taught me a lot of lessons that I didn't know it was teaching me at the moment, but I'm starting to reap those actual rewards right now. And um, it taught me how to grind. You know, when you go to camp, it's a grind. It's a grind, and you do that for four years straight. You go to a different state, turn back around, go back home, get back on your schedule, fly out. You know, you learn you learn a system of how you want things to work and how to be successful with that system. And CU definitely taught me that. Does John Riston, do, do you reach out to him? How does uh, Devon Thornton end up at, at CSU Pueblo? What was that process like? Um, I reached out to John Riston and... Um, there's another coach I forget. He's still there. He's the DB's coach. He actually has a uh, facility named after him. Coach Leo. Coach Leo, they came to Boulder to come see me and the tight ends coach. They came to Boulder to come see me. We talked it up for a little bit. I visited Pueblo. We shook hands, made that commitment to each other. I enrolled into the Masters of Education program out there. And um, it was a mutual relationship. We wanted each other. And I think that was a, that was that made me feel good because having three coaches in Boulder, then going to John Riston and kind of feeling welcomed and they wanted me there, that definitely made me feel good. You had a standout senior season and I believe you guys won an RMAC championship yep. that year, yep. right? Yes, sir. Did that, you mentioned you were just sick of losing. What was that, that season like, being able to have a championship your last year? To get a championship, RMAC championship, in, in Pueblo it felt typical. It felt like that was the standard. So it was good to get back to a tradition of winning. And it was amazing to be one of the key vocal points of that team, just to know. It's kind of like, you know, I still got it. You know, weapon boulders, you know. A D- Division one. I, I don't care where you go, it can break you down. It can break you down mentally, physically. And going up to Pueblo in a smaller environment, a smaller community, that, uh, that school definitely brought my love for football back. Because for a minute, I didn't know if I cared about football anymore especially graduating. I'm like, I've been here four years. It felt like a job at that point. So going to Pueblo, it felt like um, I felt like a student athlete again instead of just it being a job. Did you try to keep training once uh, your senior season ended? How did it, you kind of transition into uh, life as a civilian, I guess, for lack of a better term? Well, I went to Pro Day <laughs> with the Broncos. I went to Pro Day in Pueblo. The Broncos came. The Raiders came. And my kids asked me, like, how come you didn't go pro? And I told them, like, those jobs, those um, businesses, those teams don't call you and tell you that they're not going to bring you on the team. You know, you just have to move on with life. So after a couple months, I didn't hear anything. You know, I started to figure out what I would do. And lo and behold, I became a middle school and high school English teacher at Rocafuerte Academy. It's a charter school. But um, that transition was very weird for training for three, four months. And then going to pro day and then hearing nothing, you know, it's, it's weird. It's, it's one of the few jobs or professions that you don't hear back from anyone. So it was a good experience to go through, though. 
given kind of the ups and downs of your journey throughout college, once you got into coaching, does that give you a different perspective? And, and I imagine that's something that young people can kind of gravitate towards and, and kind of hopefully listen. Absolutely. So I start to see how Coach Embry saw things the past three months. And even when it comes to for a second, he suspended, he suspended me for two games. He suspended me for my last Rocky Mountain showdown. And I understand what he was saying now. I understand how I was how I was messing with the integrity of his football team. And it was wholeheartedly his team. And I did some things that messed with the integrity of his team. And at that age, I didn't know. I'm like, you guys brought me here. You know, I was emotional. You guys brought me here. I'm, I'm, I'm the prize. Like, how dare you talk to me like that? But I was foolish for even thinking that way or believing that he owed me something. I was supposed to work hard, do my job, handle my business, and I wasn't. So... I have a great appreciation for John Embry, a great appreciation for Eric Bieniemy, a great appreciation for J.D. Brokart, Kent Riddle, Dan Hawkins, just because they were trying to teach us stuff that we, they were trying to teach me things that I wasn't ready for. And I think um, I definitely appreciate them for that. And um, I hope they get to hear this. <laughs> and like, okay, I did something right. Because you never know as a coach. You never know who you touched. Yeah. You never know who you affected in a positive or negative light. And as a coach now, that, that keeps you up at night sometimes, just based off, okay, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? So on and so forth. Does it give you more patience, too, with some of these guys if they're being a knucklehead on your team? Uh, it gives me patience, and it, it makes me set a standard, too, um, just because I wholeheartedly believe that for you to have a program, you have to have it set a standard. And if they aren't meeting that standard, I'm not going to just cut them and tell them not to come back, but... One thing Coach Riston told me was a leopard always keeps his stripes. You know, you may be able to fool me for X amount of time, but you're ultimately going to go back to the individual that you were trained to be. And sometimes that's a bad thing. And majority of the time, that's a positive thing. But as a coach, you have to be aware of cancers on the team, things that can ruin your season, things that can ruin your opportunity as a head coach. So I definitely took away some things from them that I am applying right now. How would you describe yourself as a coach? As a coach, I am I'm a player's coach and I am a perfectionist. Only because I know what these kids I've been where they want to go and I know what it takes and I've made enough mistakes to help guide them in the right direction so they won't make those same mistakes. And I think that um my coaching style is very demanding, very demanding, very demanding. And I think that's what these kids in our generation need. And specifically the population we serve, the population we serve at Overland, you know, some people want to give it to them easily just because of whatever the circumstances may be at home or in their individual life. But life doesn't care about what's going on. You know, you have to meet that standard. And if you can meet that standard, life will be good to you. And I'm a living testament of that. You're in preseason camp right now. What, what kind of squad did you inherit here? You've been on the staff, so you know these guys already. You were uh, an assistant here for three years before getting the head job? This would be my third year. Okay. So I was an assistant for two years. This would be my third year. The squad that I inherited is a squad that it's a squad that was underserved. So they've been here four years, and I'll be their third coach. I didn't meant to, meant to mention that to you. So they're in the exact same predicament as I was when McIntyre came to Boulder. So 
they're in a space where they're trying to figure out if they can trust me or not. So I've earned their trust only because I've been here two years. Now they're trying to figure out if I know what I'm talking about. And fortunately, unfortunately, they won't have 100% buy-in until we win. So when we go and play against Smoky Hill and we win, then they're going to say, okay, this crazy man that's so demanding, he actually knows what he's talking about. So um, the squad I inherited is a... They've been underserved, but they're they're great athletes. They're some of the best athletes in the states. Uh, they're great kids, and they they got beat up last year. We went one and nine, and they got beat up. They got their butts uh, beat up. And um, now I think it's time for them to be successful. And um, that's where we're at right now. You're in a tough conference. You, see you play Regis Jesuit, Cherry Creek, Eagle Crest. And you mentioned that first game about Smoky Hill. We're about a month away from that game. Yep. What are your emotions like as, as you kind of think ahead? to <laughs> What do you think that night's going to be like for you? 37 days away. And uh, I'll be very transparent with you because I trust you. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, but I'm confident. And the nervousness comes more because as a teacher, you never know what the teenager's going to do. You can plan. You can differentiate different plans but you never know what that 16 year old is 16 or 17 year old is going to do Friday night the lights are on and the stands are packed so I can kind of combat that with the type of practices we have and the type of meetings and structure we have but the best combat is just confidence I'm confident as a head coach I'm confident that we're going to win and I've truly seen these student athletes take my confidence and embody it themselves they're truly taking on the uh, characteristics of their head coach. And I can appreciate that. Obviously, you want to win games here, but what is your ultimate goal as a head coach at Overland? My ultimate goal as a head coach at Overland is for these young men to come back and be good fathers, husbands. <laughs> and it sounds like a college coach's spiel, but you know, you want these young men to come back and be successful. You want them to be good people. You want them to be able to get a job. So if I can narrow it down to one thing, when what I want out of these young men are to be good in the community. I want them to be nice to their teachers. I want them to be individuals that their friends can reach out to if something wrong is happening. And that's a very unique question because as I've been with them probably for 60 plus days, I get more concerned about what type of young men I'm building. And the wins and losses are kind of, they're going to come and go. But I want to know, like, what am I presenting to them? What mannerisms am I presenting to them that they may take away? And um, that's important to me. Uh, those young men coming back and saying, hey, coach, I'm doing I'm doing okay in life, you know? That's what I want out of these young men. That's awesome. Uh, with CU, do you, do you ever get back up there? When's the last time you were up in Boulder? Uh, we went up there for a 707 camp, and I saw Darian Hagan. I saw Scott. He's like the head man now, just as far as the logistics. We actually went to the championship, and we lost in oh, Folsom. Nice. Yep, we lost in Folsom to a to a Centaurus. Um, we won six games up there, seven on seven. So that was the first stage of us kind of feeling what winning felt like. But those kids, they love the campus. And uh, a year and a half ago, I went up there and took uh, some kids from athletics and beyond, and we uh, met with Medford Moore. He's still the academic advisor up there. Christian Livingston, we still communicate. She actually set it up for us. So I'm I'm still bought into Boulder. I'm still in their community when I can be. So I was there this year and this past year. 
It's hard to stay away. Do you have any impressions of Mel Tucker taking over up there? Have you uh, paid close enough attention to uh, have a, a sense for, for where the program's headed with him? I think the pro. I've, I've been keeping tabs on him, and I just like what he says, you know. But that only takes you so far. In, this, in that Boulder community, you have to win games up there in order to stay because they love their football. Um, one comment he made was, why can't see you recruit kids in the South? Or why can't see you get the five-star recruits? And I'm thinking, like, yeah, why can't we? So I think he is going to serve that community the right way, and especially in terms of football. You know he knows football. Defensive coordinator at Georgia, SEC, he knows football. And I'm just interested to see how bought in those kids will be to his system and how he adapts to the Pac-12. Because the Pac-12 is a little different than the SEC. You mentioned before we started recording, I asked you which guys up to you still you still keep in contact with. Yep. Who are those guys that uh, you know you still have that close bond with? Uh, Quentin Hildreth. I still, me and um, Tyler Hansen are Facebook friends. Okay. Um, David Bakhtiari, I still, we're Facebook friends. But my best friend that I always talk with is Derek Webb, Josh Hardigan, uh, Joshua Moten. Those guys are, they'll be in my wedding, you know. They'll be, they'll travel down and come to my wedding. Those are my real guys. And another one is Chadera Uzo Deribe. He's in Kansas yeah. right now. Those are my, you know, when I proposed to my fiance, they were there. They were all there. So, um, Will Jefferson, all that, that 09 class, a lot of that 09 class, uh, I'm still buds with. Forrest West, 09 class. Tony Jones, we're Facebook guys. And, um, I'm in contact with a lot of them. A lot of them. What is Derek Webb up to these days? Derek Webb is a profound rapper, and he's a teacher. He's a high school linebackers coach. Derek Webb is everything that society would not want him to be, <laughs> and he is doing it well. That's and awesome. um, That's my guy, man. We talked yesterday. My friend Andre Simmons. Andre Simmons, he's an offensive coordinator in South Carolina at his old high school. A real bond. And it's funny how a lot of us are in the field of education. Because if I'm not mistaken, Andre works at a school, Derek Webb works at a school, and they've been doing that for some years now. So that's that's uh, something cool to think about. So you brought those guys out for the proposal. That's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they came. They came and showed love. They showed love. My high school guys from the state championship game, we're, we're lifetime, lifetime friends. And one thing that my friend Donnell Wells says is, I'll be at your funeral. And that's the most powerful thing. I, You know, that's better than I love you. I'll be at your funeral. I love you, you know, until the end, until the wheels fall off. So sports create amazing bonds, even between me and yourself. It's just, you know, what is it, 10 years later, yeah. 2009, 2019, that sports does something that nothing else in this world can do. And that's why when you see people have issues with the head injuries, and it's something that you do have to take seriously, but you just see how much better off people are that have, you talked about the grind of how difficult it was to go through that, but what it does for you on the other side. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the way of the world. I think that's the way that the American society has shaped it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, a little risk for reward. And um, I told my players probably two weeks ago, football has given me everything. Football has given me the car I have. It's given me the job I have. It's given me my degree. Football has given me everything. Athletics has given me everything that I have to this day. So... I preach to them integrity. And I didn't really know what coaches meant by integrity of football or integrity of sports. There is a true integrity in these sports that people take extremely seriously. And um, 
again, the best thing I can say is football has given me everything I have besides my family. And um, I'm extremely appreciative of that. Well, it's great to see you're doing so well in life. Congratulations on the engagement. And, uh, yeah, I think we're all going to be keeping a close eye on Overland High School and, and wish you all the success in the world. Appreciate that, Adam. Thank you for stopping by and coming down to Aurora. And I uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day. Thanks again. Preseason Thank camp at CU begins next week, so we'll have another podcast or two coming your way before it starts. If you could give Buff Stampede Podcast a rating and a review, hopefully a positive one, it would be much appreciated. It would help us get this podcast out in front of more CU fans. Thanks for tuning in.